Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. And today we're talking about two very current issues coming out of the Supreme Court, the citizenship question on the 2020 census and gerrymandering and how districts are going to be drawn in the future. Promise it's more exciting than that sounds. Yeah, sorry. That was super dull, but you'll love it. We've got some big topics today, Sarah. Are you ready? Timely topics, too. Um, Normally, we do sort of bigger, broader topics. But today, we've got two very specific items to talk about. And they both relate to recent Supreme Court decisions that came down at the end of June. And before your eyes totally glaze over um, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you're like, next podcast, these decisions are crucial to the future of our democracy. And I know that's really, that's very dramatic. As you know. I'm usually the dramatic one here. <laughs> I don't understand. I know, this is coming from you. The in me is like, mm, let's mitigate all of that. No, but these are two very crucial decisions. So we're going to talk about what they are, and then we'll unpack them a little. So those two decisions are, first of all, the inclusion of the citizenship question on the 2020 census. And the Supreme Court ruled at the end of June that they will not be including that question based on the grounds the administration had given them for the reason that that question should be included. And we'll get into details about that later. So number one, the citizenship question on the 2020 census. The second question is about that they answered was about gerrymandering and whether or not states or how individual, what was the control level for partisan gerrymandering? And we'll get into gerrymandering too, including the origin of the name. Yeah, and also what it is, because I definitely was like, remind me what this is. I remember we're learning about this in social studies, but... Right. It's basically voting districts and how district lines are drawn. So the Supreme Court actually ruled that there's a lot more local authority. States can control their own district drawing. So they basically allowed partisan gerrymandering, and that will open the door for a lot of districts to either be redrawn or redrawn districts to pass muster in ways that they might have not if if the Supreme Court had ruled differently. And that really does matter for each and every one of us who have the power to vote. Right. Like we need to know about this because it it effectively could potentially reduce our voting power. Right. And so I think the reason why we wanted to do this episode and release it in such a timely manner is because these two decisions are so big and so impactful. And as we start rolling towards 2020 and the elections, we're already getting, Sarah, you were just saying you got your census information or sort of all the pre-census information today. This, These decisions are going to really determine a lot about how we see 2020 coming. Interesting. So let's get into it. All right. So the citizenship question on the census. Basically, like we mentioned, at the end of June, the Supreme Court made its ruling on the this question. But the Supreme Court wasn't the the court where this question originated based on our judicial system. And you can stop me if I'm going to like just totally lawyer geek out. (laughs) (laughs) So the citizenship question to clarify is that on the census, which asks you all sorts of questions about your family and your income, like all of these things, they want to say, are you a citizen or not? Correct. And that question has never been asked before. And for a variety of reasons, But uh, a lot of them relate to potential discrimination. So um, this question has been in lower courts, and by lower courts, we mean federal courts, um, 
that exists in various states. So this question was most recently in federal courts in New York and Maryland and finally was heard by the Supreme Court during their spring term. And the Supreme Court in their decision basically said that, no, you can't include the citizenship question, um, which got a uh, gigantic thumbs up from us. But let's talk a little bit about why they said that. So in a partly unanimous opinion, which partly unanimous because there were several different splits by the justices along the way. And this um, opinion was actually written by the chief justice, who is John Roberts. The court said that the Trump administration's Department of Commerce could not add the citizenship question for now. The administration's justification for adding the question, which was really their justification was about enforcing the Voting Rights Act. And to stop you right there, just to clarify, the Voting Rights Act was signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson back in 1965. And that was in order to help basically overcome the legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevented Black Americans from exercising their right to vote, as guaranteed by the 15th Amendment to the Constitution. And since then, so basically, it was allowing not just white men to vote, but guaranteeing the right to vote to all sorts of people. And and it's expanded along the way to protect rights for non-English speaking American citizens as well. So basically what you're saying is the Trump administration said they needed to enforce the Voting Rights Act and therefore they need to ask this citizenship question, which I don't get, but okay, so keep going. Go lawyer on Right, so the Supreme Court didn't get it either. Actually, they felt that that pretext was essentially a lie offered after the fact to justify adding the question rather than a real reason for making that decision. But it didn't say that you can never ask this question. It just said, come back to us or come back with a better reason um, and we'll consider it or other courts will consider it. So as a side note, the moral of this story, well, there's several, but one is don't lie to the Supreme Court, really bad choice. Um, <laughs> so you would generally think, and in a situation like this, normally you have a decision and might be remanded to the lower court, especially, and by lower court, we mean those same courts that the questions originated from, um, because the Supreme Court did say, hey, you can come back with a better reason, um, one that we actually believe um, in court. And, uh, you know, the courts will consider adding that question. Um, and so normally this. So this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And, and so they made that decision just at the end of June, correct? Like and right now here we are in early July. Correct. So it's very recent okay. because also the reason why they needed that decision at the end of June is because as the census is happening next year. So they need to start printing like yesterday, basically. Um, so normally you hear that decision and you're like, okay, they've ruled this way. It's going to take a lot of time because anyone who's ever watched um, Law and Order or has, you know, <laughs> listened to any true crime or legal podcast knows that it takes a long time to get to a decision. So everyone in this scenario would generally think, okay, the 2020 census is going forward without that citizenship question. However, it appears that the president has a different viewpoint. And through his tweets and through what he is asking the Justice Department to do now, it looks like he is trying to figure out another alternative and to figure out a quote, legally available path to adding this question 
in this current census. So interpret what that means, quote, legally available path. Yes. So that is lawyers speak for we are probably going to try and make up something that we're not sure we may we have the precedent for, but we're going to argue it anyway, because this is how precedent and by precedent, I mean, prior decisions that dictate how future decisions are made, needs to be made somewhere. So we're going to try and argue something. And even though right after the Supreme Court's ruling, um, a Justice Department spokeswoman had confirmed that there would be no citizenship question on the 2020 census, right after that, Trump tweeted that we are absolutely moving forward. So that's basically the diametric opposite of what the Justice Department came out to say. So the judge in the Maryland cases, whose name is George Hazel, Judge Hazel basically asked for an emergency phone call and was like, what is actually happening here? Because you said one thing, now the president is saying something else. And so interestingly enough, the assistant attorney general and others basically said, yeah, we didn't know that he was going to say that, but I guess now we are looking for a legally available path. So in recent days, and by recent, I mean yesterday, actually, the the legal team for the Justice Department has changed, which basically never happens in when you're in the middle of litigation. You don't just take off your team and you're like, great, um, now we're going to bring in the A-team. But that is exactly what has happened, um, which is really interesting, maybe more interesting for me, but still, it's very strange. So he's basically trying to push this through no matter the legal precedent or ruling about it. And they're just trying to come up with a way to make it work. Correct. And and yet, go ahead. at the same time, like, based on the fact that I got census, two different notices about the census, and here's the website and all that sort of stuff. In theory, it's already out there. And so yes, and I think you wrote like I think there's like a company with a huge contract to print the printed version of these as well, and they're starting to print them. Yes, I mean the Commerce Secretary has said in the past um, that they are printing, and there is a company with a hundred and fourteen million dollar contract to print those questionnaires, and um, they have been instructed to start printing without the citizenship question. However, we still have a huge question mark as to what the president's next step is. And normally we hear about that on Twitter before we hear about that anywhere else. Basically, we're at this weird place where Judge Hazel had asked for information about, you know, well, you said no, now you're saying yes, I need to know more about this. And I need to hear a lot more from the sides who are opposing it as well. Um, So basically, there's a lot of procedures that are very unique, or at least uncommon to what is happening right now around this question. And I guess the question for me is, so why is this a big deal? I mean, I get why adding the question would be a big deal. Because if I was here, and I was not a citizen, I would be like, "Ooh, is this going to be used against me? Because now these censuses, like data is sent per address. Yep. And so all of a sudden, if I send this back saying, nope, I'm not a citizen, like they have my address and my word that I am not a citizen. And so who the heck knows what's going to happen? Like I, I can inherently understand that, would you A, answer that truthfully or not? And B, would I even then send any information back or would I just not send a census back and therefore my numbers, like I won't count as a family then? Right. And that puts you in sort of a, in a, in a real catch-22 
on a hugely impactful level. And it wouldn't just be you, right, in this hypothetical. It would be so many people. And I think that's exactly what the Supreme Court saw, that it, especially based on recent evidence that suggested that it is much more racially motivated in a discriminatory manner um, to include this question than not. And and so explain that part. So recently, evidence from the computer files of a Republican redistricting consultant who was named Thomas Hoffeller had information on his computer. He died last year. Um, but the information on his computer showed that discrimination against Hispanics was behind the push for the citizenship question. Okay. And let's break that down a little more. That makes, that's crazy. Right. So there was basically, he did a study, this consultant, in 2015 in Texas, and it was related to something called CVAP, which is Citizen Voting Age Population. In the past, the Supreme Court has said that congressional districts must be apportioned to the states according to total population, but it is not said that those states cannot then draw redraw these districts, and especially now that they have more leeway on that front, according to citizen voting age population, which is what the citizenship question on the census would tell you. So even if you have a state like Texas, or in particular, if you have a state like Texas, a state with a large non-citizen population... If you're drawing based solely on citizen voting age population, if you're drawing those districts, that would be advantageous to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites while you're effectively diluting the political power of Latinos in that state. Interesting. So because it's the citizen voting age population. So, So say even if you have a green card and you are here legally, you still can't count as a citizen. Is that correct? Or would you fill that out? I actually don't know that. So that's my dad, green card, permanent resident, not a citizen. So he he would have to fill it out as not a U.S. citizen. Yep. Got it. So he would then, if that question was asked. Yeah. And why this is so important is money follows the districts, right? So ah. basically, it comes down to money, doesn't most things, I guess. But <laughs> um, opponents of this question have said that it would discourage participation by immigrants, I mean, for the reasons we discussed, and people who are in this country illegally. But more importantly, that results in inaccurate figures for a count that determines the distribution of close to $675 billion in federal spending and how many congressional districts each state gets. So if you're only counting and districting based on where white people live, and in particular um, citizens, white citizens largely, those districts get the money. Right. And those districts mm. and your sort of it doesn't matter how many other people who are not white are in that area or in different areas or in bigger areas. They can draw it however they want based on how they want the votes to go. Um, if you're just looking at in because you could divide areas and we're going to get into this a little bit more in the gerrymandering discussion. But if you're creative about how you district based on how you draw those district lines based on who you'd like to see in power and who you'd like to benefit, you can sort of split resources. You can get a lot of the resources to various communities while sort of harming those others. Got it. And and so these congressional districts that the U.S. Supreme Court said has to be apportioned according to total population, the idea of these districts is to have the same number of people. 
right, right. In, in them based on the state, but you can really get creative. We'll talk about that in the gerrymandering, but that's okay. Yeah. And, I see. and you want, you want the money going to states with, you know, like big, the more populous a state is, right? The more money they should technically be getting from those federal funds. But if you're that counting only certain people, and, and you're and you're undercounting people Correct. who live in a certain area, then yeah, okay, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so, so that's why it's so important, and that's why the Supreme Court felt like, especially based on all of that evidence and that study that was done, that the the Justice Department was not truthful in the arguments that they put forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So so if that paperwork had not been discovered, I wonder what they would have thought, right? Yeah, I think that that was, I believe his daughter actually discovered it and um, gave it to people, which was crucial. And thank you um, for that because, yeah, that would have probably changed the narrative. Even if you had suspicions that maybe there were other issues at play, you that is direct evidence that, mm-hmm. in fact, that was the the impetus for the question. So then let's go into gerrymandering. Because if we're talking about redistricting and getting resources and the power to vote and that sort of stuff, that is what these line drawing things are. Right. And so gerrymandering is not new. And it's done, it's, it has been done since basically the founding of our nation because politicians and people in power have tried to intentionally manipulate the boundaries of election districts when you you know when you get your election information you're in a specific district to stifle their opponents power and keep themselves in office so basically you draw districts in a way that where you've got you can split people who are going to oppose you but get sort of majorities of people who support you or at least the key districts which have the most votes then that's how you stay in office Mm. So and and for as long as as this has existed, the there have been opponents of this who say this is anti-democratic and unconstitutional. So the basic explanation behind gerrymandering is that it's when voting districts are redrawn to benefit one party over another in elections, forcing the other side to waste votes. And so, for example, someone drawing district lines might cluster opposition party voters together in one district in order to concentrate their votes so they influence only a few seats, right? So if you've everyone in a certain district who is anti, like a particular party, right, then you get one seat for that party, but you get five seats for your party, let's say. Or it could mean grouping those opposition voters into districts where the other party has a lock on the power. So you can sort of splinter out the districts where you know that they're going to be a minority. And so their votes won't really be counted in the same way. And that, you know, it reminds me of the last election where I heard some people say, well, I shouldn't even bother voting because it it won't matter. It's a wasted vote because this district or this state is voting this way anyway. So what the heck is the point? Yes. Um, and then I also heard of people like with good friends agreeing to switch votes so that their votes could count with other states. They would be like, okay, I promise because my vote will matter more here and yours will matter more there. Let's swap. Yes. Have you heard of that? Well, okay. and I Whether. think <laughs> and I think um, it gets complicated in presidential elections in particular because we have the Electoral College, which is such a weird, you know, construct, right? Because certain states get based on population get a certain number of electoral college votes, right? So you need to flip an entire state mm-hmm. to get that 
you know, California is one that has a ton of votes, right? Florida, Texas, which is unique to that. And that is a whole additional story, which has been challenged in recent elections. But yeah, this is this is basically trying to manipulate the system. And like, you know, we've said both parties have done this. Um, and we have there's a great example that The Washington Post released um, from Reddit, actually, um, where everything you ever want to know resides. <laughs> and it shows sort of how redistricting and gerrymandering can affect a single election. So now yeah, we should totally share that. Yeah, that, we're, that resource. we'll share that. But with the assistance of software now, you don't even it's not like you need to go door to door anymore or like hand draw these. You can manipulate it easily based on, you know, where voters are. So instead of taking a relatively rectangular state like Colorado and drawing four, you know, drawing it into four <laughs> logical things, it looks really bizarre, which is where. So that's where where did the name gerrymandering come from? It's debatable, but some historians trace some of this partisan map making to a man named Patrick Henry, who is said to have drawn a Virginia House district for the first congressional election back in 1789 in order to ensure that he won. Basically, he wanted to defeat James Madison, but the practice basically, that was when it was first used, but it, it, the, it takes its name from a man named Elbridge Gerry, another figure from the revolution, who later served as James Madison's vice president. And the reason it was, was when he was governor of Massachusetts in 1812, Mr. Jerry signed a bill allowing his party to draw state Senate districts that were meant to favor its candidates over the rival, the Federalists. One particular district, kind of like a serpent, it was sort of this long, narrowing thing, it looked to some people like a salamander. So a Boston editorial cartoonist drew it with a head and claws and labeled it the gerrymander. And so that's where the name gerrymandering came from, with the asterisk that maybe it wasn't totally his thing. There's no clear evidence that he supported the maps that his party drew. Um, they didn't help his party particularly win. The Federalists won control of the Senate the following year. But in theory, that's sort of folklore about where the term gerrymandering came from, because it's not nice, even square things. You can really make shapes that look bizarre and make no sense in order to benefit your party. I had no idea. Yeah, I've used that term forever, I feel like, without really knowing what it meant or where it came from. So I'm forever going to think of a salamander. I know, gerrymander. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Okay, so back to the recent decision. What the Supreme Court ruled at the end of June was that federal judges have no authority to correct partisan gerrymandering. So that means that federal judges can't come in, look at a district that's being challenged and say, "Mm, we don't agree. So basically, this allows politicians to keep drawing electoral districts that entrench their power unless state law or Congress prevents them from doing so. And I would like to say that this this decision was really close. It was a five to four decision, which is why who your justices are on the Supreme Court is crucial. This decision, and mainly led by the court's conservative majority now, overruled lower courts and rejected two separate constitutional challenges to partisan district mapmaking, one brought by Democrats in North Carolina and another by Republicans in Maryland. So remember how we said it's both sides? Both parties have done this in the past. So this is not a partisan issue. This is a Democratic issue, really, about whether you can do this in a democracy. A democratic republic. Yes, a democratic republic. We are. Yes, correct. Issue. But prior to the recent changes in the court, this was a split. This was an even 4-4 split. So because we had no ninth justice for a bit um, prior to Kavanaugh. So Kavanaugh was 
the switch vote, basically. And so, yeah. So that's interesting. So basically, people in power in a state can continue to draw voting districts that'll be to their benefit and and keep their power is effectively what you're saying. Yep. And the Supreme Court sort of realized in their decision that while this kind of seems, it seems unjust that you can be able to do this and that excessive partisanship and districting um, leads to results that seem as such, they didn't believe that it was the federal court's role to rectify it, to fix it. In his opinion, Chief Justice Roberts wrote, federal judges have no license to reallocate political power between the two major political parties with no plausible grant of authority in the Constitution and no legal standards to limit and direct their decisions. So basically saying, yeah, this probably or might be unjust, but we can't do anything about it. But surely there was not everyone agreed with that because there was dissenting. Correct. So all of the the conservative majority who voted for the five in the 5-4 vote were appointed by Republican presidents, interestingly enough. Um, the court's liberal minority, all of whom were appointed by Democratic presidents, issued a fairly woeful dissent. And Justice Kagan notably stated, quote, of all times to abandon the court's duty to declare the law, this was not the one, end quote. So that that was tough for the minority. It sounds. Well, and I think you said something interesting, too. Partisan gerrymanders, this is a quote also, a continued quote, imperil our system of government. Part of the court's role in that system is to defend its foundations. And none are more important than free and fair elections. Right. Yep. Because if it's not the federal courts, who is in charge of overseeing this? I can't imagine that there is another party that can do that. Or, or like not party party, but like another entity no. that would oversee that. And because you don't have the judiciary in where there is precedent and laws and rules that they are following, it is really up to the states now to challenge or, I mean, I guess Congress in a way. But as we know, there is such disparity across state laws that there will be no uniform standard. So, Which is interesting. Yeah. So looking to what this actually means, um, it has ramifications, this decision that is, has ramifications for the redistricting process on the federal, state, and local levels. So down to where your local district is. It, and because this is coming with the 2020 census on the horizon, as we've been discussing earlier, the census requires maps across the U.S. to be redrawn to, to reflect shifts in population. So this census opens up the opportunity to have these districts redrawn in an even more partisan character because map makers now aren't going to be checked by the courts. And because Republicans currently control most state houses, they had the most to lose had the lower court rulings been upheld, but conversely, the most to gain now that they have the ability currently to redraw those maps. Yikes. Yeah. So as we've said a million times, you know, this is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democrat issue. This is both parties who have done this. However, recently, it is the Republican Party who's sort of taken this next level. And we mentioned earlier that there had been two challenges to gerrymandering, and one of them was in North Carolina. And as an example, the Republicans in North Carolina managed to both maximize their advantage and minimize Democratic power by drawing district lines to pack as many Democrats into possible into three districts. 
and then cracking other potentially Democratic districts in half or thirds, diluting the Democratic vote to create safe Republican districts. So remember how we talked about you can one of the tactics was you can kind of shift all your opponents into one or a couple districts so they win some votes, but then you dilute their votes in the districts that matter or the majority of the districts. And the League of Women Voters, who was one of the challenges in this lower court case, pointed out that the GOP had even split predominantly Democratic Greensboro so that half of the dorms at the historically black North Carolina A&T State University were put in one Republican district and half in another. They actually drew a line through the dorms at this one university to make sure that the districts worked. Yeah. And back to those hard drives again of that Republican redistricting expert, Dr. Hofeller. Um, this is another twist in that case because he drew the original 2016 map for the GOP. And so they've been challenging based on, you know, uncovering the fact that, hey, this guy had clearly other motivations for drawing this map rather than just being like, hey, I'm I'm out here to draw some districts for you guys. That's tremendous. Yeah. Because I think what was key to that and the GOP redistricting maps had been previously struck down by the by the Supreme Court in 2016 as unconstitutional racial gerrymandering. Um, but those maps were used again in 2018 and in the election in 2018, the midterms, because Republican lawmakers told the lower courts that they had not done any preparation to redraw the maps and would need considerable time to do so. So they were basically like, OK, well, we have these maps. We don't have any new ones. So let's just go with the ones we have. However, that consultant, Dr. Hofeller, um, despite the prohibition on using racial data and redistricting, he included the racial composition of the proposed districts for each and every iteration of his draft maps. Wow. Yeah. So if there's a more clear sign of discrimination based on race or using race in districting, I'm not sure what that would be. Well, and on that hard drive, it also had amended Senate and House maps that were nearly complete almost a year before the 2018 election. So basically, he was lying. Yeah. Like, they were done. They could have been reused, but no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They didn't do it. So let's go back to our drama. Yeah. Why is this even, like, it It seems pretty heavy and a big deal. Yeah. Tell me why you feel like this is, like... The future future. of our country in in our hands. I know. And as I was telling you, like my six-year-old, basically, he orders food and 2.5 seconds after he finishes ordering, he's like, oh my God, if I don't get my food right now, I'm just going to die and this is it. And that is a level of drama that I, you know, am like horrified by. But I feel like we're kind of at that level of drama here because gerrymandering, we don't live in a bubble, right? So gerrymandering is just one piece of a much broader GOP offensive to rig the system in their favor. And I think we have to like just sit with that for a moment because it's not really like a master plan to destroy democracy, right? But it is a series of events, a series of seemingly discrete events, each of which results in a power grab that add up to imperil democracy as we know it. So let's talk about some of those examples, because that's a really big statement. I get it. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So voter ID laws, first of all, voter ID laws, which has have 
come through the news a lot about, um, you know, having to present voter ID, who's on the who's on the polls, who can vote. What about felons? What happens when your name isn't there? You know, we've had a lot of issues around voter ID and I've done a lot of voter protection and it is a real issue, even in states where you feel like there should be no issue. Um, but voter ID laws in particular pushed in Republican states have created not insignificant barriers to voting for many black and Hispanic voters. Republican state governments have conducted voter purges that disproportionately clear minority voters from the rolls. After two elections where Republicans lost control of the governorship, North Carolina in 2016 just talked about that state, and Wisconsin in 2018, the state legislators stripped power from new Democratic governors before they could even take office. Florida's Republican-controlled legislature just defanged a ballot initiative passed in 2018 that would allow ex-felons to vote literally denying the franchise of voting to a heavily Black and thus heavily Democratic constituency. Are felons or ex-felons not allowed to vote in other places in the country? Ex-felons are allowed to vote in a lot of other places, yeah. But this is the, the reason why felons and ex-felons, like getting them back on the rolls to vote and has, has been such a hot-button issue is because of the racial makeup of ex-felons and largely what party they're affiliated with, which is heavily black, heavily democratic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, these are these come from the state level, right? These are not federal examples. These are clearly state level examples, but they've either been directly supported by the national party or tacitly approved. So I, I think we we then look at, you know, we have a conservative majority in the Supreme Court, which if we recall back to the Merrick Garland, uh, Merrick Garland Supreme Court nomination under Obama, when Mitch McConnell just blocked that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Republicans in Congress have refused to consider statehood proposals for either D.C. or Puerto Rico. And don't get me started on Puerto Rico, because clearly we treat Puerto Rico as not at all part of our country, which essentially denies Senate and House representation for millions of U.S. citizens. And the GOP depends on undemocratic institutions like Electoral College, which we discussed earlier in the, uh, with regards to presidential elections, and the Senate, which are ones that give disproportionate weight to voter voters in Republican-dominated states because you get two votes per state, right, to maintain power. And that has to be one Republican, one Democratic, and thus needs to prevent reforms that would move the country towards a truer form of one person, one vote. I mean, at this point in this conversation, I'm sitting here feeling like, I mean, I don't want to swear, so I'll keep it clean. <laughs> but like, what are we going to do? It's overwhelmingly depressing. And I feel powerless at this moment. Like what on earth do you do? Because this sounds absurd. I, I, I mean, and I know even on our local scale, we've talked uh, in Colorado about who is allowed to redistrict and who draws maps and this sort of stuff. So I understand that these conversations are happening, but I'm like, what do you do? So it is really important to get out there and vote, first of all, because even if you are worried that your vote doesn't count, you need to make sure that your vote gets in so that the districts, you have the best chance of having the districts drawn in the way that is actually reflective for everyone. I think the second thing that you really need to think about doing is get involved. And at the very least, and I know it's summer right now, and I know there are a million things going on for a lot of people, but you need to be reading the news because... Because this I is, hate reading the news. I know. It is so 
depressing I, and so partisan. I hate I getting know. only one side of an issue. I know, but but then I like I like sort of I know it is really tough, but I like the um, WTF just happened today or next draft or I mean because that the WTF just happened today is really how I feel a lot of days. But I think because those are news digests, and so then I can see a link to a story, sometimes save it for later, but then often we'll create some Google searches, which I do because, you know, in the moment where you're on Facebook and you've been on Facebook for 20 minutes, if you spent that same 20 minutes just once a week even or twice a week looking at what is happening right now, this will at least allow you to have conversations and be educated about stuff that is going to directly impact you. Because gerrymandering, the citizenship question, that affects everyone, regardless of whether you're a citizen, whether you're not a citizen, regardless of where you live and what color you are, what race you are, how you identify with your sexual orientation, this affects everyone. And if you care about democratic principles in our government, this should be something that's on the top of your reading list, maybe even above your Instagram scroll through, you know, pretty (laughs) pictures, unless you're looking at our um, podcast Instagram, in which case, pause there for a second. But otherwise, (laughs) I mean, seriously, we spend a lot of time on social media, we should take a little bit of that time. And I know it's depressing. And I know it leads to feelings of anxiety or despair. But as long as you believe that we can actually make things better, which I firmly believe, and I think you firmly believe as well, Sarah, we have the responsibility, at least for our kids or for the generation that's coming after us, to have that shot. In order to do change, we need to be informed and we need to be a little bit like a bit more involved. No, that's why we're doing these conversations right now. I do also have to say that magazine I subscribe to because my aunt told me about it and I, I found it on her kitchen island and it's called The Week. And it actually, it's only once a week, so I feel that's less depressing, but it has really interesting issues and it comes at it with two sides. Like like if there is an issue on gerrymandering, it'll cover what the liberal media and the conservative media had to say about it. So I actually find that that helps me digest issues better than reading a bunch of headlines and feeling like the world sucks. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that you made. I think we need to be aware of both sides of the issues, right? We need to be aware of everything that's happening um, in order to form our own opinions. But I I do think that it is tough when we're sort of being railroaded to think a certain way or to have rights taken away from us to not be at least aware of what those rights are before there, it's too late and they're gone. That's so scary, but so true. Well, I mean, I think if anybody, we have so many resources here on the visuals of gerrymandering and explanation of them, the citizenship question. We send all these out on our weekly emails. And so you can either ask, just send us an email at hello at dearwhitewomenpodcast.com or go to our website. You can sign up to the newsletter there. But we, we do have a lot of further reading that you can take for your own journey. Yes, I think, you know, we've called these articles, they're a great place to start. But like Sarah was saying, get out there, read, read what you can in the time that you have to be able to have these conversations with people around you. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Also, if you're looking for some great email, who isn't, sign up on our website, dearwhitewomen.com, and get our weekly email every Wednesday that gives you special bonus insider tips. You can also find us on social media. 
Sarah, can you tell us where to find? Absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and on Twitter at DWW Podcast. Find us there.